One of the things we're talking about, and for those of you who haven't been here before, I've been running around with this ridiculous looking brush for the last few weeks. And one of the things, I'm not going to do that today. You know, so you have to come back next week. I'll do that next week. Because I want to focus. You know, and, and the guys are telling me I need to sit down because if, the more I stand up, the longer my messages go. So I need to be told to sit down. <laughs> so we've been talking about becoming balanced friends. So again, if I talk quick, you've got your notes for backup. All right, here we go. We've been comparing the three physical laws of balance and comparing and contrasting them with the spiritual laws and, and, and the financial laws of balance. And we ended the first week, and this is a test to see if you can remember this. We talked about having, remember, the correct reference point, keeping your eye on the correct reference point, don't get worried, on the correct reference point. And the reference point that we ended the first week saying that we had to focus on was knowing where your money is. Let's say that again. Knowing where your money is. You can never afford to take your eyes off where your money is going. Ever. And the second, two weeks ago, we said we have to have a clear objective. And when I was running around with this brush, my idea of keeping my objective was to keep the pole vertical. I had a clear objective. And we asked ourselves, and we have to ask ourselves, what on earth am I trying to do when it comes to money and possessions in these few short years that I have on this planet? What is it I'm trying to do? What's the point? And as we looked into the Old Testament and the New Testament, we saw that we could sum up, from a biblical point of view, our one objective is to, what was it? Honour God. Very quickly, we're going recap. So we need to honour God as we manage our money, as we manage our possessions, our wealth. And at the end of the day, the question is, how can I best honour God, we said, with everything, not just a percentage? How can I honour God with all that I do? Everything that comes my way not just a little bit of it. Then last week, we started to talk about, as we're balancing, reference point, we talked about a clear objective, we talked about a constant correction. Remember that? Constant correction. And the one that we, was, we focused on last week was consumer debt. We began to talk about debt. And to balance yourself personally in your finances, you have got to rethink debt. God has an amazing way of doing this to get you to rethink. Because some of the old thinking is stinking thinking. It's wrong. It's got bugs in it. And God wants you to replace that buggy thinking with godly thinking from his word. And last week, we talked about getting out of debt because as we discovered, you need to finish this, the borrower becomes the lender's the borrower becomes the lender's, uh, a bit louder please, what's the word? Slave. slave. Anybody want to be a slave? Uh-uh. See, when you finance your car, they didn't tell you. And now, by the way, when you buy this car with this finance attached to it, you now serve us until every last cent is paid off. We get first call. 
And when you took that extra large mortgage, you could have taken a small one, but no, somebody sweet talked to you into an extra large mortgage. They didn't tell you that for the next 30 years, you will serve me. And you won't have much flexibility in your life because we've locked you. And if you carry a credit card balance, you need help. <laughs> and we're going to help you. We want to help you. Because we were actually paying, we saw last week, for somebody else to be our master. And we effectively consume ourselves into financial slavery. So, if you're going to be balanced, what we ended up saying last week is this, very clearly. And by the way, for those of you who have a, a real desire to serve God, you need to get this clear. Get out of debt. You can only serve one number one. Get out of debt. And we said that, you know, that everything comes from God, everything belongs to God, everything is distributed by God and dispersed by God. So to be balanced, you need to honor God. Now, you can't honor God when you've got God on one side maybe nudging you and he's saying, here's what I want you to do, but Visa's telling you, here's what you've got to do. Today, though, I want to talk the second constant correction. And for you accountants here, you probably are familiar with the title of this message. I deliberately did this for you. For a few minutes, the other constant correction we're going to talk about today is I want to talk about your extra money. Your extra money. You know what I mean by extra money? How many of you in this room have got extra money? Oh, gee. Wrong crowd. <laughs> but I would humbly ask you for the next few minutes, if you would give me just a few moments, I want to convince you that you have extra money. And what you choose to do with your extra money is an indication of who you belong to and an indication of something that you believe that you might not have even verbalized or dare to pronounce. Now Jesus talks about this very clearly and very specifically. And Jesus says this, that the way that you manage your extra money is a reflection of something in your heart. Now, for those of you who weren't, don't worry, for those of you who weren't here last week, I need to tell you this. Because if I don't tell you this, those of us who are here will know this. There is no hidden agenda here. There will be no, at the end of this series, special offering. There will be no call for extra giving. It's nothing. In fact, if you're here today and you don't know us, please don't ever give anything to this church. You don't need to. I want to clear that pressure away from you so that you can hear the truth of God's word and let him decide as he speaks to your heart. So I need to put that caveat in there very clearly. There's enough people that believe in this church to support this church and the vision that it is. This is not about getting your money. I want something for you. So I said that up front, open-handed, so you can receive God's truth as Jesus is going to speak to you today in a way that you probably haven't been spoken to for a long time. So with that caveat, I 
I want to focus on something very specific, very brilliant. I think everything that Jesus says is brilliant. And he says that the way that you manage your extra money is a reflection of something in your heart. Now, some of you are already starting to think in your mind, okay, I get that. The church is not after that. The end is not after that. No problem. But I don't have any extra money lying around. And that's true. You probably don't have it. Money doesn't normally just lay around. We just find stuff to do with it. (laughs) And all of our money, our extra money, gets either one or two things, either consumed now or saved to be consumed later. So if somebody says to you, what about that extra extra money you've got laying around? You say, well, I haven't got any. You've got the wrong guy. Now, if you eat out regularly, you probably have a little extra money. If you have an expensive coffee habit, like I do, (laughs) unless you figured out a way to get your coffee's half price, which I have. (laughs) If you have a movie habit, or a cell phone habit, let's get a bit more global. If you have a car, how many of you got a car? Can you see your hands, please? One car, okay. Do you know what percentage of the world you sit in? Top 10%. 90% of the world do not own one car. Okay, so that's a fact. Give me some perspective here. Now, some of you have two, two cars. Some of you even have your own home where you can live under a roof and you can feed your kids. Have you ever traded something in that worked in your way for another one very much like it? You ever done that? You probably have a little extra. Do you have a seasonal wardrobe that changes from winter to summer? If you do, you probably have a little extra. What about, what's that, have you ever had a garage sale? What were you selling there? Probably, you know, come buy my extras, right? Stuff I didn't even, I've forgotten they even had. Now, we don't think in these terms, but just to stir you up a little, I want to point out that we do have extras. Now, I realize that you don't have as much extra as you want. I get that. Or as much extra as some people that you know, some of them well. You see, our desire for extra is like the rest of our appetites. They can never be fully and finally satisfied. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Now I want to just ask you to reflect. Chances are for you that you have more extra than your parents had at your age. Chances are. And chances are that you have more than most people in the world. For example, the median income per capita in the world, the middle, just so you can gauge yourself, is $4,300 a year. That's the median. Now, for those of you who earn in this room today more than $50,000, I want to peg you exactly where you are. You I'm in the top 1% of the world. The top 1%. That's a fact. So 99% of the people in this world don't earn what you earn. That's a fact. Now, a bit of time for confession. 
only time in my life that I feel I have extra is when I'm around people who have a lot less than what I have. I could be in India, I could be in Rwanda, I could be in Pakistan or some place that they have very little. A third world mission field and hold a baby. And all of a sudden, it's like my eyes are opened and I wonder why I have so much extra. For Kimberly, she spent five years working among the poor. That changes your perspective for good. Never going back. um, It's then I realise powerfully how much higher standard of living I have got and probably you have got than they have. Suddenly I'm aware of how blessed and how fortunate that I am and my kids are. And what I am realising in that moment is, wow, I actually have extra. This is how this works in my life. How many of you have been to Papua Nui or driven past it on the Coromandel? Okay. Lots of really nice houses, right? But nobody lives there, apart from at Christmas. It's all, they're all empty. You go for a walk around there, they're all empty. And what you're really looking at is somebody's extra. All those extra houses used for six weeks of the year on average. Now, when you and I see those houses, we don't think, wow, I wonder why I already have so much extra. We don't think that. We go, I wonder why I don't have one of those. Right? That's how we think. And our culture does to me what it does to you. Our culture keeps me laser-focused on what we don't have. Now, the truth is, most of us, not all of us, have had do have or will have some extra. And what you do with your extra is a reflection, as Jesus is going to show us very clearly soon, of where you stand in your relationship to your Heavenly Father, and it's an indication as to who or what controls our hearts. Because we are so accustomed to having extra that the only time we feel a bit of pain is when we have less extra than we used to. We really ask, why do I have extra? And we only ask it when we're confronted with people who have less than they need. Now, I've noticed something interesting. Focusing on what I don't have makes me vulnerable to greed. When I focus on what I don't have. Why? Because as long as I'm on a quest for more, I will assume when it come, when more comes along, it is all for me. That's what I will assume. Now, Jesus is going to define greed soon, but one of the ways he gets after this is he's going to see, uh, say, as you shortly, that he defines greed as the assumption that life's extras are for our consumption. You may want to remember that. And that kind of attitude leaves us with little margin for generosity. So today, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them to Luke chapter 12. This is a pivotal, stunning section of Scripture. And Jesus is going to address this head on. I mean, head on. 
He specifically is addressing the issue of extra. Now, I want to set the context by letting you know that he's talking to a fairly poor community who were taxed heavily already by the Romans. And they felt like they were in captivity to a foreign government. That's the context. That's their mindset, okay? Yet Jesus still says, even to them, in that context, as difficult as things are, to the original audience, you have got to consider your view on how you manage extra. Let's get going. One day, Jesus is talking to the crowd, and a man must have been immeasurably ticked off with his brother. He accuses of him being greedy and trying to steal his half of the inheritance. This is the context. And he wouldn't give him his half, his fair share. Hey, that's my fair share of the inheritance. And this man wanted Jesus to side with him and tell his brother to cough up, mate, and give me half of what Pops was giving me. Now, Jesus, in the middle of this highly charged context, takes his finger and he points to a much higher issue. Do not miss this. The correct attitude towards the accumulation of wealth. He puts his finger, wham, right on the questioner's heart. And he warns him, the one not getting his fair share, of being greedy. Greed is hard to see in the mirror. You can see lots of other things in the mirror, but it's very difficult to see greed. We just say, I'm careful, or I'm cautious. Now, this statement that Jesus is about to make is powerful. But some of you, when you're going to hear it now, are going to say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. By the way, have you ever noticed that interesting way Jesus discusses things? Here's a pattern of making big, huge statements that everybody initially thinks, ah, that's not relevant to me. And then you would tell a parable. And people walked away thinking, you know what? I think that was about me. In fact, he was talking directly to me. I think I was in that parable. And here's a statement as he begins. Stay very clearly focused. A man's or woman's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Let's say it. Let's say this, personalize it. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. Right, now we've got the statement. Let's try it one more time aloud together. Let's say it. My life does not consist in the abundance of my Now, you might think, well, I know that. Why are you taking time to tell me this? Why would you even bother to say that? Well, who in the world thinks that their lives consist of possessions and the abundance of them? Well, in this shot from Forbes magazine, next slide, 10,000 people took their own lives because they had so much money and they lost so much, they thought life wasn't worth living. Apparently, some people do think their life consists of the abundance of their possessions. Because after losing uh, their fortunes, people got confused by the deceitfulness of their extra. 
When their stuff went away, they thought they had nothing to live for. Now Jesus teaches, and this is so subtle, that for all of us with extra, with the movie habits, with the gadgets, with the bling, with more than one car, when we own a home, when we're thinking about upgrading what we've got, that's already perfectly acceptable, and even through the difficult times, we have extra. And he says, if you have extra, you run a very big risk. I'm going to repeat that sentence so we can concentrate on that one. If you have extra, you run a very big risk. So pay attention to this next few minutes. You run a risk in a practical way of living as if your life consisted of your possessions, which means that everything that comes your way is the equivalent of air or the equivalent of food or the equivalent of water and it all needs to be consumed by me either now or saved to be consumed by me later. It's like I've got to have it to live and that's what it means to live as if your life consists of the abundance of your possessions. Now logically we clearly know there's more to life than stuff but many of us practically live as if life consists, is equal to, or is the same as what we have, what we will have, what we manage, and what we control. That's how we practically live. Now, Jesus teaches that you can determine whether or not you are living that way by keeping an eye clearly on what you do with your extra time. Here it comes. Powerful parable. Let's read it. After he makes that big, broad statement, man, that... A man's life does not consist of all of his positions. He gets straight into the parable, which has got the power. Luke 12, 16. And he told him a parable. The ground of a certain rich man. What's his initial status? Rich. Produced a good crop. Moved up. He was already rich. Now he's even got more wealth. Because the ground of the rich man produced a good crop crop he had extra actually if you think about it because of things that he couldn't even control he's got no control over the rain he's got no control over the pests or the diseases or the soil in those days verse 17 so he thought to himself what shall I do I have no place to store my extra crops. I have extra stuff, and I don't know what to do with these things. My garage is full. My basement is full. I can't even drive my car in the garage, he's saying. And the barns are full. I have so much extra, it's all sitting outside. What shall I do with my extra? Now, I know none of you have ever had that concern. And Jesus is doing a parable which means he's going to exaggerate things for the sake of making a point, verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, my house, and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my extra and my goods. He had a windfall. I'll build bigger barns to store all my extra stuff. Now, that is a good idea if this life is all there is. 
He was planning ahead. That's good. Next part, he fails. He wasn't planning enough, far enough. He was just planning very short term. He's myopic. Verse 19. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of extra good things laid up for many years. Now that's not a bad idea if you have many years. But he didn't control that either. I was at a funeral yesterday of somebody who didn't expect to die. You take life easy. Be merry. Eat, drink, be merry. He assumed his extra, look at that, was to take it easy, to eat, drink, and chill out, man. Stress less. His aim in his expansion was for security for many years. His love of ease, cruising around the Bahamas, whatever. Desire to gratify the lusts of the flesh. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's what Jesus said for many years. Now, the mistake was he was focusing completely on his wealth and his own enjoyment. He would notice he was planning to spend it all on himself. Notice in that statement there, there was no concern for anybody else, any other person, or God. Nobody. None. Just him. Very egocentric. There was no eternal perspective. A few short years here. And the man's life was completely focused on the temporal. Now, in the Greek, I'll look this up for you. You can look it up too in the interlinear. I want you to know a few things. This parable concludes, includes the word my, you can count them, four times in Greek. And the word I or isles, six. This man shows his joy came from stuff and things. You have enough to consume now. You have plenty to consume later. You have plenty to make sure that your kids have enough to consume later. Because after all, isn't all the extra for us? Isn't the point of having this extra so I can take of myself and my children's selves and their grandchildren's selves and maybe even can set up trusts for three or four generations of Buckley's because of all of my extra. Isn't God good? I've been so incredibly blessed. I'm going to build some bigger barns. So the future was bright. Or so he thought. What he was going to do with all that extra? Thinking about it. Take it easy. Ink, drink. And be merry. Hmm. Verse 20. Oh, oh. But God said to him, You fall. Now that is a very hard word. If you look it up in the Greek, you idiot. Very hard word. It means, literally, let me give you the definition. It means without reason and stronger. Want of mental sanity. You complete idiot. At this point in the story, I think Jesus' hearers were totally confused. They're going, what? Why is he a fool? He's already got a bag of money. He's a good farmer. What the heck? 
why he's successful. And in an agrarian economy of those days, people directly equated wealth with the favor of God. Today we have a few churches that teach that. That if you have a lot of stuff, God has blessed you. And on the other side of that, they try and teach that if you are in poverty, you just need to have more faith. Let me say to you, that is not in the Bible. It is not even remotely hinted in the Bible. And just in case you missed it, it doesn't work. Some of the richest people on the planet are blatant pagans. Some of the richest people in New Zealand are flagrant atheists. Remember, your, remember too, your Father in heaven sends rain on the just and the unjust. Don't just describe it to God's favor. Now when God said to him, you fool, you're without mental sanity. You've lost the plot is what he's saying. Let me be very clear here. Listen carefully, lest I'm misquoted. He is not railing the man for being rich. God rebukes him and calls him a fool because he thought it was all for his current consumption or his future consumption. Because he had bought the lie that life consisted, in his view, in the abundance of, of his possessions, which is totally contrary to what God says in his word. Which means you serve your stuff, you maintain it, you insure it, you, you pay for it to be kept up all the time. You're just in a different form of slavery than the person who's enslaved, like we talked about last week, the person who owes money to another organization. You're enslaved to stuff. He's already rich. He's already blessed by God. Now he's being blessed with even more extra. And he figured out how to secure his future and his family's future for years to come. Now Jesus here in this parable is trying to get people to think. We used to have a sign at IBM. It was on the wall. Think. And we need to have one when we approach what Jesus says. What does this mean to me? Jesus is trying to get people to think. He's getting, trying to get the man to think. He's trying to get you and I to think. Why is this so much extra? Listen to how the story goes. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You are out of time, but you're not out of money. He had a burial coming his way rather than bigger barns. He just didn't see it. Now most of us listening to this message today, either here in this room or on the internet, will run out of time before we run out of money. Why? Because we are very good at securing our own futures. Our companies help secure our futures. They pay our KiwiSaver and retirement plans and other such things. And we as Kiwis are genuinely starting to slowly get a little bit better at saving. And then we've got things like family support. Yeah, when mum and dad pass on, you'll get some inheritance from them too. Some. Or you've been good investors and you've been wise. That's a good thing. The Bible encourages saving. The Bible encourages smart investing. But let me say that one more time. 
Most of us in this room will run out of time before we run out of money. Just like the man. And Jesus says, your life will end. Then he asks a question that we should all think about. He asks a question. Here it is. Then, who will get the extra that you have prepared for yourself? And the answer is very easy. Somebody else. But not because you are generous. They'll get it because you're dead. He didn't give it. He left it. I want to suggest something to you. You may, if, it, if my bullet fits your gun, shoot it. I want you to suggest a little one sentence. Do your giving while you're living. Then you're knowing where it's going. Let's say it one more time. Do your giving while you're living. Then you're knowing where it's going. Don't think. Don't pass it. Oh, that's my kid's responsibility. No, it's not. It's yours. You are the manager. You're the one that's put in charge. Now, Jesus now pulls up out of the parable like a tremendous dive, pulls it up straight out of the parable, and he addresses his audience directly. And he addresses us directly. Verse 21. This, this is how it will be. This is how it will be. This is a fact. You can take it to the bank because it came from Jesus. This is how it will be. Total loss of everything. Wasn't he lucky that his crops came in so bountifully in the last season of his life? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. So Jesus here, what he's really getting at is exposing the sin of the rich fool. Jesus is not teaching against preparing for the future financially. You know I, the scriptures say that. Jesus is saying, here's how it will be for anyone who thinks everything that comes his way is for his consumption now or his consumption later and forgets to be rich towards God. Now this is an adjustment, a constant adjustment and correction we need to make in the way that we think about the way that we manage the assets and the funds the Lord's lent us. He's saying, I don't want you to be simply rich towards you, which was this fool's, rich fool's problem. You see, you are rich towards you because of the talents and the abilities and the opportunities and the people and the connections and the hard work He's saying that I have allowed you to have. You are rich towards you because you live in this amazing country called New Zealand. You are rich uh, towards you because you've been careful and you have been disciplined. You are rich towards you. Congratulations. But don't forget to be rich towards God. Because if you're only rich towards you, 
You're living as if everything that comes your way is absolutely necessary for your life. Like air, <laughs> can't do without it. Water, shelter. You're saying, I've got to have it all, I've got to have it all now, and I've got to make sure it's all there later. And he, Jesus is saying, that, my friends, is unbalanced. And it needs correcting that thinking. And Jesus says that's how it is for anyone who lives his life as if it is all for himself and is not rich towards God. And Jesus is challenging his people to think beyond earthbound goals to use what they have that been lent for the kingdom of God because it's his in the first place. Remember, that little percentage that we give is just to help remind us mm, it's actually all his. And what in the world, you would ask me today, does it mean to be rich towards God? A few verses later. Hold tight, strap your safety belts in. Sell all your possessions. No, it doesn't say that. It says sell your possessions. All of them? No. We know that from the way the disciples lived. The disciples had houses. They had business people that helped them along the way too. We know that, the way Jesus lived. Sell some possessions. What ones? The ones you don't need? The ones that are cluttering your place up? Sell some of the extra and give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. That's a treasure in heaven. Let me tell you, you don't know the number of Christian people I spoke to have had good investments that have gone bad and they've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and they are, much to their chagrin, they said, I wished I would have given it because once I've given it, I can't lose it. I'll take the GFC for one thing. When I take some of my extra to make sure that somebody has enough, that is treasure in heaven. And that's what it means to be rich towards God. When I'm rich towards people that are important to God, in, the way, in a way, I've been rich towards God. Tre- let me carry on. Treasure in heaven. That will not be exhausted. And no moth destroys or bad investment loses. Verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where we came back to. This is how people with extra keep their hearts in the right place. The fellow in the parable, his heart was completely tied to this life. So when his life ended, when he breathed his last breath, it was a total loss. Jesus said that's how it will be for anybody. Rich, kind of rich, middle class, upper class, whatever you are. That is how it will be for anybody who thinks all of his extra is for his consumption now or his consumption later? A few takeaways and we're done. If you think that way and assume the extra is all for you, you're out of balance and you need to make a correction. You need to rethink in the light of this parable of Jesus' words what you're doing with the extra. And if you don't think you have any extra, here's why. Most of us not all of us, but the vast majority, the reason we don't think we have any extra is because it seems like everything I have is absolutely necessary for my personal consumption. I can't make it, I can't live without it. So this is what it means to live and believe that the abundance of your stuff is equivalent to your life. Number two, takeaway. If you have a savings plan, which I hope everybody in this church does, and a spending plan, which I hope everybody has normally a budget, but no giving plan, you need 
to make a correction. Number three. When you think the extra is all for you, you will save carefully, but you will give sparingly. Number four. If God has blessed you with more than you need, could I suggest to you just so that you can share your abundance with those in need? And here's what I want you to do this week as we wrap it up. This week, I want to challenge you, point blank, will you figure out how rich towards God you have been? I'd rather you check that now than it's the last day and you found short. Check it yourself. That's between you and God. How do you do it? Well, you total up your current giving in terms of dollars and then determine what percentage of your income it is. That's between you and God. Just do it. Don't tell anybody else, just do it. That way you can figure out where you are. Then make up your mind and choose a percentage. Pre-decide a percentage. That's between you and God. You choose a goal. A clear objective. Pick a percentage. And that will ensure that you don't consume all of your extra. It'll ensure it. I guarantee it. And that's what we're talking about. Balance. Now, you can do this even if you don't plan to give anything. You should still know what percentage, not just the amount you gave. The percentage is the key. For example, what you gave last year. And by the way, just reminds me, giving receipts to the back when you're done. That'll help you as well. But you may give to United Way. You may give to other things, you know, writing for the disabled. But tally the whole lot up and then look at the bottom. Just add it up. Pretty simple. Just whack it into Excel and off you go. Then at least you know. And here's what will happen if you do that. It will force you to deal with this question. Am I living as if what I have equals my life? You can do that in the privacy of your own office but it will force you to grapple with that question. If it's difficult for you to write a larger check than normal check, even though you know you can, even though you have the extra, in that tension, you'll discover something about yourself. And this is an adjustment that I think many Christians need to make, which probably means most of us need to rethink. Here's a challenge. Are you prepared to predecide to be rich towards God, not just rich towards me? And as you discipline yourself to live... As one who thinks, I'm not going to live as one who's got to have it all to survive. You will begin to live as a person who doesn't believe you have to consume it all now or plan to consume it all later. You will be rich towards God and you will give to those in need because you have more than you need. And something else happens in your heart. You'll have a deep peace. Because your heavenly father, you will suddenly realize, is there to take care of you as well. And there'll be less anxiety and you'll quit living like your life consists in the abundance of your stuff. And you'll see yourself, which is an epiphany to me, as a manager of some assets, which one day will go to somebody else. I just get to manage them for a few short years. And when you have that, you'll be more balanced, and you'll be free. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
Jesus said it powerfully and clearly. Give us the courage to open our hearts and our hands. Transform our minds to be renewed by your word. Set us free from the lie that it's all for us now or all for us later. And give us the courage to take bold steps to become increasingly rich towards you. Teach us to trust you. I pray this in the powerful and everlasting name of Jesus Christ our Saviour and all the people said, Amen.